This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform. I am sitting here with Eat to Perform coach Catherine Adams. We jokingly refer to this as Took Talk with Cat and Paul, but it's actually it's actually more of our fat loss discussion. And so we um, we will take some questions in that regard. We do have kind of a theme for tonight. We have themes for most of these nights, but if you're not familiar with how this works. Um, Eat to Perform members are on the call. Actually, we not only have Eat to Perform members on the call, but we also have coaches from gyms all across the world that are able to sort of attend these and kind of ask questions for their clients. So it's kind of a nice way to get kind of a broader way to look at things. So, Catherine, do you want to say hello to everyone? Hi, everyone. So, nice short <laughs> so Catherine, where, can you explain to them – where in Narnia you live? <laughs> I live in the middle of the middle of the middle of nowhere. Um, uh, in Canada, in BC, so the west coast, uh, but in inland a little bit. So we're nestled about 15 minutes away from a ski resort called Sun Peaks. Um, and I have probably about a dozen neighbors. And uh, that's, that's it, which I, it's quite fun. And as, I like it, and then I can go online and and uh, be social. <laughs> and as people can tell, you're from Kentucky. Kentucky? No, not not from Kentucky. <laughs> I, I was I was joking that you have a Canadian accent, and um, I don't I I don't know how many people have said, "Oh, you you have such a Canadian accent," and I I'm like, really? Yeah, I like Jordan. Uh, Jordy has the, the accent in the group. Yeah, whenever whenever I use that accent joke on people, um, especially people that are from like England or France or something like that, um, it really goes over weird. Um, but I don't know why. I keep, I, keep, I keep pushing it, you know, as long as it's funny to me, right? Um, so I think we're just going to kind of dive in. Normally uh, we'd have like a little discussion, uh, you know, come up with kind of a funny anecdote or something but uh people are saying paul get to the point so this would be one of those ones where we actually get to the point relatively quickly one of the things that okay so this is going to be actually a two-part episode um we're gonna Catherine and i are going to talk a little bit more on kind of the personal side of things um clients that we deal with some personal experience things of that nature um the topic being hating yourself lean Right. And, and just kind of having this unhealthy approach to the way that you view, you know, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with food and sort of the consequences of that. But what's interesting about this discussion is there's actually going to be a part two where I'm going to be on the call with a number of PhDs and we're going to kind of do a roundtable and talk about the science of that, because what I don't think that people realize is that they're sort of playing with fire when they're dieting. And so, you know, if you, you know, let me walk you through kind of the basics of, of what we're talking about and see if this kind of fits for your situation and see if, you know, maybe we can kind of pick apart some of the ideas that, um, you know, might make things a little bit more, you know, enlightened for you because, I know for myself and Catherine, we've both struggled with these things as well, right? You know, you start off and you know, your goal is to, 
you know, be X amount of pounds or X amount body fat percentage or something of that nature. And you sort of get caught up in it from a mentality standpoint. I think what you're going to hear from more, most of our scientists is that, you know, one of the things that I always point to is the Minnesota starvation study. And what's interesting about the Minnesota starvation study and why it's important to this discussion is because there is a very different way that we started viewing eating, you know, around, you know, 1960s, right? Previous to that time, we were really kind of agricultural in nature, industrial in nature. And the way that that sort of changed the way that, you know, we viewed food was, was pretty drastic. Because even if you look, you know, there was actually, it was sort of funny talking to Dr. Stephen Blair one time about um, some studies that he did. And he kind of took some heat for it um, from women because they didn't see it the way that he was meaning to present it. But what he was talking about was that, you know, oftentimes people will point to farmers as, you know, of course, farmers need to eat a lot of food because they were farmers. But he's saying, no, it wasn't really just farmers. It was it was the the women that were doing the laundry on the line and, you know, all these different things that have sort of been automated, you know, from the standpoint of laundry, from dishwashing, all these physical activities that actually matter when you add them up, right? And then when you look at what the men were eating compared to what the women were eating, it was roughly similar, right? And so as, you know, both people walked throughout the day, they had energy and they were able to kind of accomplish these great things. And, and what you see very distinctively is that there was a line, you know, um, where, you know, we started to, to head towards more of the obesity side of things and where we were more active. And, you know, like I said, as we started to move and transition to this new way of, of doing things, we sort of gravitated to the less, less, less approach, which is fine, you know, because to a certain extent, you know, calorie balance always matters in these scenarios. And we're not certainly suggesting that it doesn't. But what we are suggesting is that if you're constantly focusing on down, right, and you're not looking at trying to reestablish who you are as a human being, I mean, the way evolution works is, you know, it takes time, you know, and, you know, every single day, our body is trying to adjust to the, you know, the stimulus that you're putting in front of it. And so if you're eating, you know, conveniently, um, you know, people will often focus on, uh, you know, convenience foods and fast foods and, and high calorie density, right? Um, and, and there's no question that those things, yeah, that those things are in play. And you have to factor those in. But at the same time, you know, many of the ways that, that people were eating back in those days 
were also pretty calorie dense. I mean, you know, there was no shortage of butter in those meals. There was no shortage of bread in those meals. There was no shortage of meats and potatoes in those meals. And so, you know, even though, you know, people will often point to, you know, the whole foods aspect of that, right? Where, you know, they were eating mostly foods from the ground. Once again, we have no negatives as it relates to that idea, right? We would prefer you eat mostly whole foods, mostly meats, potatoes, things of that nature, and, and really do an adequate amount of stuff for um, whatever it is, you know, you're eating, kind of matching up your, your input to your output. And so from that perspective, I think we need to sort of kind of start, you know, the discussion of how you can make those changes and how that will make a difference for you. So one of the places that we start off with, you know, when we do live seminars is really focus on the relationship that you have with the mirror, right? And, you know, it's really hard to say what our great grandparents, you know, had to say about that, you know, um, and, you know, I'm not going to sit here and kind of, you know, idealize, you know, those types of situations. I know that, you know, it's easy to look back at that as, as super positive, and I'm, I'm sure that there were some negatives as well. But what we're really focused on is the amount of energy those guys were putting out and the amount of energy that they were putting in. And, you know, the simple fact of the matter is, is that when you're eating an adequate amount of food for what you do, mentally that has a positive effect on you right? You're feeling more capable. The things that you're doing, you can pick up your children easier. You know, lots of little things that a lot of people don't think about. But, you know, some of the things that, that you know, has really come up a lot, you know, has been sleep. You know, a lot of people don't realize the negative effect of, of sleep. People will often fo focus on cortisol and I think that that's a healthy discussion to have, but, you know, it's very popular. You know, it's kind of interesting, you know, watching, you know, how we've sort of evolved as a podcast because the people that we're passing up as podcasts often, you know, tend to focus, you know, really on strict whole food approaches, right? And what, you know, like I said, no, no beef against that. The problem that you run into, though, is when... You have too much energy density, right? Or I'm sorry, nutrient density. It really starts to affect your hunger signaling. And, you know, when you look at, you know, how that affects what your body needs for the amount of, of work that you're doing, that'll negatively affect your, your cortisol level. So the two things that make the biggest difference as it relates to cortisol is always going to be, are you eating an adequate amount for what you do? And are you eating carbohydrates? Both of those things tend to be favorable for, you know, cortisol. Now, some level of activity, you know, to obviously counterbalance um, that. And, you know, we're not shy about saying that the, the activity also needs to be resistance in nature. You know, what I think has sort of happened, you know, in this whole process is... Not only have we focused on eating less, 
but we focused on doing more and doing more very specifically. And, and I always have to throw out this caveat because every single time we start talking about this, it's as if we get lumped in with like the anti-cardio people. I run, Catherine runs, I do rucks on the weekends, you know, I enjoy cardio activity. But when you look at undereating, when you look at um, doing excessive amount of exercise that's really focused on down, 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 you know, certainly cortisol is going to come in play, but also, you know, really you're not asking your body to adapt from a skeletal muscle mass you know, standpoint, you're not really kind of asking your body to, you know, really kind of keep the lean mass that, that you have on your body and then potentially build lean mass. That's favorable as it relates to joint pain. That's favorable as it relates to osteoporosis, right? Bone density is going to be kind of a big thing. So a lot of the things that all these other blogs that are talking about, you know, that are kind of in that same realm, it's sort of funny, actually, I'm going to talk, you know, go off script for just a second here. Um, it's interesting, uh, you know, listening to the various podcasts that are sort of near us because the, the ones that I've sort of found the most interesting, there's there's a guy in the one spot that I just cannot beat. And, you know, to be honest with you, I'm sort of hoping that I never beat him. Um, today, uh, you know, I was a little underslept. I actually kind of woke up a little bit early. And so once I was done with my coaching calls, I decided to lay down for a little nap. And so it was the first time that I had ever actually used this podcast. And what the podcast is, it's called Sleep With Me. And um, it's basically like bedtime stories. And uh, the guy really talks in sort of a monotone voice. And, you know, he'll talk about topics, but they're not talk topics that stimulate you. You know, unless you're like a total nerd about that topic right but it's sort of educational as you listen to it i'm telling you normally i am sort of in my head about this it was kind of interesting as he was talking through the process you know you know he said something that was interesting that normally as you're getting to sleep it's actually not common for people to be able to hold four or five thoughts in their head and that if you can hold one thought in your head that if that thought is calming, it can aid you from a sleep perspective. And obviously, you know, I mean, if you look at the ratings and reviews, I mean, it's unreal how many people have been, their lives have been affected positively. And I think, I think that's a, a little bit of the discussion we're having here, you know? Um, and I know that, you know, there's always, you know, obviously, you know, tonight is the night that we talk about fat loss and, you know, the topic is, is obviously a fairly serious one. But when we're talking about stress and, and being overwhelmed and stuff like that, making sleep a priority is kind of a, a big thing. Another thing that was, was talked about that was sort of interesting from our resident PhD, Dr. Mike Nelson, was someone was talking about melatonin and if you are considering melatonin, there's some things that you have to think about when we're looking at sleep. And I do think that this is relevant to hating yourself lean, 
right? Because if you're underslept and you choose to go to the gym instead of taking a nap, I think that's a version of hating yourself lean, you know, to think that your, you know, overall health would be benefited from wearing yourself down or sitting on a treadmill for an hour. You're essentially basically, I mean, you, if, if your body is sort of like, hay, right. And, and, and the stress is a spark getting on that treadmill is like throwing gasoline on that spark, you know, and, and Catherine is muted. Um, but she's shaking her head. Yes. You know, I'm sure she's doing it. I'm sure she's doing it in a, in a toque saying a most of the time. <laughs> Catherine actually did want to sing, Catherine did want to sing the intro the new flow rider song from uh my house or whatever but but I talked her out of it I, I just I, I just I just really thought that it would, I thought it would be a bad idea I'll do it on uh, that dub smash thing and I'll put it on slot yeah absolutely slot is is science lab off topic it's you know if you're listening to the podcast and you're not a need to perform member we have kind of a private community that's sort of a fun um place as you can sort of tell we 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 like to have a little fun. fun yeah fun. so but i totally agree with you paul with the with the sleep how much it can affect your overall training your mood your hrv which you've introduced to us um every time my sleep goes down uh my hrv plummets too so in um, hr hrv HRV is heart rate variability, and basically what it is is a way for athletes to uh, figure out how they're recovering, and um, it does so by the um, like t- ticks. It, it's sort of an EKG. So when you're when you're doing an EKG and you see the bleep bleep bleep, right? It's it's measuring. Your your heart cycles in between those beeps, and that is how they tell whether or not you're more recovered. I will tell you guys this: um, as you're seeing more wearables come onto the market, don't be surprised if within the next five years, HRV becomes a very big deal, and you start to realize that your stress levels are much higher than they normally would be. Right. And, and I, you know, once again, I'm, I, I just want to bring it back to the, to the hate yourself lean thing because, you know, what we're going to be talking about on Monday is really the dire consequences. But what we're talking about now is the day-to-day decisions that sort of tear at the fiber of who you are as a human being, right? And if you're underslept, overworked, overstressed, you know, really you want to pick apart those elements before you want to start tackling something like fat loss, right? And actually, you know, from the standpoint of building lean muscle mass, um, those things would be favorable. You know, when we talk about, you know, um, shoot, I'm sorry, the uh, my, my browser's open and we're probably going to get some beeping here soon but uh when we're talking about building lean mass certainly better 
hormonal activity through recovery, right? That's going to be favorable. Um, you know, a lot of people that are sleeping four hours a night, you know, they're also working out at 60% a lot. How do you think that that really affects the overall adaptation to the stimulus, right? So what we're talking about now is sort of like the, the tip of the iceberg, right? And what I want to start going into is a little bit more, and I think this is relevant, you know, and by the way, you know, for all you guys here in attendance, if you have any questions, go ahead and get to them. We'll try and answer some questions and should have some time uh, later on, but obviously, you know, as, as can tell by some of the ratings and reviews, I can be a little long-winded, but, you know, you want to make sure... <laughs> Yeah, you want to make sure that you're covering a lot of these topics in depth. You know, what's funny about about that criticism, and I, I think it is a fair criticism, um, is that you you everyone wants, like, the answer, you know. Like, for instance, we'll put a title out to a blog, and we'll say, the consequences of hating yourself lean. And then I think it's like people look at that, and then they want it to be like a, a 15 second you know, post, you know, that, that gives them the answer to a lifetime of problems, you know, and it, and it really doesn't work like that. You know, you kind of have to kind of piece it together. So what I wanted to kind of move, you know, I think we sort of covered, you know, some of the things as it relates to kind of like the cortisol question, which is sort of thrown out there like it's, you know, you know, you should get your cortisol tested. Let me just tell you guys, one of the dumbest things that you can do is get your cortisol tested when you're sleeping four hours a night and, uh, you know, you're under eating and you're stressed out at work. Guess what? Your cortisol is going to be high. You know, that's just sort of the way it is. And then, you know, a lot of the time the answers for those situations aren't what I would consider the answers to be. But, you know, it's, even as I say that, I am sort of seeing more people saying that burning the candle at both ends, you know, isn't always the answer. And I don't think, you know, I mean, I'll be honest with you, you know, I, I don't, you know, I haven't listened to all of the the podcasts that are near us in the health, but they're not really talking about that, right? What they're really talking about is yet another creative way to eat less. And, yeah. you know, in that way, you know, our message is sort of differentiated. I mean, for instance, let's say that you were, you know, the fat burning man, right? Um, and, you know, what was interesting about, you know, I think the guy's name's Abel James and, you know, his his podcast is usually pretty popular um, because he was on that that reality TV show. I've already said wasn't a fan of that show, not a fan of that concept, not a fan of abusing people on television for entertainment. Um, but that is what it is. Right. Um, what was interesting about it, though, is I didn't he was actually one of the people that I sort of liked you know, in that scenario, as much as I, as much as, you know, I would rather people not watch that stuff. And I think it's sort of harmful. And I actually thought that the show was really, really harmful, um, in the messages that they sent to people. Um, I liked his emphasis on whole food, 
Um, I like the fact that he wasn't talking about extreme exercise, you know, and and having kind of a manageable approach. Um, ultimately, his guy ultimately did, you know, end up eating a lot less. You know, you, you can listen to, you know, his accounting of that. But at the end of the day, what we're talking about is calorie balance. And whether you're eating, you know, whole foods or, or, or in a more flexible way, calories are always going to matter. And I think one of the things that sort of happens in the scenario where we start talking about, you know, intuitive ways of eating where you're not counting calories it's just our natural way of being that if you're not getting results in that way and you're just eating chicken and kale, you're just going to start eating less chicken and kale, you know? And this idea of using like butter and fats and stuff like this to blunt insulin levels, you know, it can work in a scenario where, you know, someone was overeating and maybe had some bad habits in their life. And now all of a sudden we're sort of, you know, you know, I mean, probably the extreme example would be like a type two diabetic, right? Where, you know, they're, they're eating more carbohydrates and, you know, their body would want to process and they become somewhat resistant. From that standpoint, you know, having them sort of normalize, you know, and not having insulin run amok is certainly going to be beneficial. But what, what's interesting about that? You know, and I can tell you guys, you, you probably can't see, but I have a little scar on my neck, you know, and what that scar is, is a sign of being, it, it's pre-diabetic, you know, and this, I, you know, started to show up when I was about 37 and um, it was one of the signs that my doctor was like, you know, you've got to get really serious. And what was nice about it was, is he didn't say to me, you need to get real serious and start starving yourself and drinking butter, right? What he said was, you know, that, you know, if you make activity a priority in your life and a bit of the discussion that we're having today is that before that time, you know, really weight loss and, and, it, it really wasn't fat loss. I would love to tell you guys it was fat loss. It really wasn't. I mean, if you ask me, would I like to have less fat? I would be like, yeah, for sure. But I was really focused on weight at that point, And I wasn't super informed. And part of the reason why we're having this discussion with you guys is that it didn't work for me. It didn't work for Catherine, right? When we started to explore more of an understanding of how we worked as individuals, it led to more enlightenment and ultimately, you know, some level of, of fitness. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not like, you know, perfect 10 or anything like that, but, you know, from the standpoint, from the standpoint of, a, of a husband and father, you know, I'm a capable human being. And I, I would say that, you know, Catherine, judging from all the responses to the, the pictures on you know, our post. Catherine's actually one of one of our models for a lot of the stuff that we do because you know one I think she represents you know she's a mom, um, she's physically fit and she eats an adequate amount for what she do so what she does and so she's a great example for all you guys. Any thoughts on that, Catherine? Because I, I have to sort of come up for for air. 
I'm a, I'm a little blown away, Paul. <laughs> so, but thank you. Yeah, you know, I, I think that uh, I, I think back to my 1,200 calorie days, and I weighed 135 pounds, or actually probably about 138, and I thought, you know what, life will be perfect when I'm 125. I was set on that weight, and I was, and I just, regardless of how little I ate and how much I worked out, the scale wasn't good. It didn't budge. And then I found you guys and started to, started slowly to eating an adequate amount and whammo, I'm same weight. Um, but I just decided that I was going to love myself. I'm going to care for myself. I'm going to make sure that I take care of, my, of myself so that I have, uh, uh, I'm a mother that can tend to the, her children and to her husband and her family and friends. And, and that was a huge, that was a huge mind, mind twist for me to try and take away from the scale. Um, I still weigh myself because it tells me other things, but um, just to take that mindset away that I want to build to be stronger. I don't have to weigh a certain number to be that. So so from that perspective, I mean, you know, I think what you're saying with the scale is is what changed is not, not so much your relationship with the scale, but the expectation of what the scale needs to say for you to be healthy, right? Bang on. And, yeah. and so you have a 12-year-old daughter, right? And I, yes. I think that it's sort of interesting because you've been with us for, for almost three years. I mean, like kind of early on, definitely two and a half years. Um, and I think that have you seen any positives as it relates to, you know, kind of your mentality, um, you know, one thing that we often hear, you know, is husbands will come on and say, you know, I had been trying to tell my wife that she was beautiful all along. And, you know, having her embrace that, you know, as part of Eat to Perform was huge. Can you talk to me a little bit about like, I mean, do you, do you see that with your daughter? I mean, I, you know, I see the, I see the pictures and the videos of her doing cool stuff. Yes, for sure, and I think um, I have I, I I have two daughters. I have one fourteen-year-old and one twelve-year-old, and the twelve-year-old's in and but they're both they both take after their dad. They're both very tall. Um, the twelve-year-old's five eight, five nine, so she's much taller than I am. And uh, she, uh, we were a little bit worried about her in the beginning because she was so much bigger than all of her friends. And um, because of ET, ETP uh, and my mindset of being, you know what, we're, we're, building, we're building ourselves to be strong and capable and functional, um, that everything kind of changed for her. She's embraced it. At first she was like, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm too big. I don't want to be too big. And now she's like, look how powerful I am, mom. And um, it's really cascaded through um, all of us, the whole entire family, which is fantastic. And plus my husband, I think I've told you, Paul, he found me crying on the floor at 1200 calories a day and I couldn't I, I was just so frustrated because I wasn't feeling like I was accomplishing anything and he handed me a banana and he goes I love you regardless of your dress size I think it's time for you to do the same yeah and it was it was a huge huge change and I was like yeah you know what I really need to do that and um and the rest is history 
So yeah, I often yeah I often talk about my relationship with my grandmother, you know, and she was a she was a powerful lady in my life, and um, you know I I had another I had other examples, but my grandmother was was different, you know she was she was strong she worked at a small machine shop, um, and uh, you know she definitely went through her period of dieting later in her life but early on you know and I would say kind of up till her mid 40s you know she was a, a powerful force in my life and strong individual and as she sort of um well she got hurt um at her job and you know rather than kind of pursuing like the the healing of the physical part you know it was really, it's sort of interesting because in this discussion, you know, we're not just talking about really the way that we changed as individuals, but we, the way that we, had, you know, viewed health was very differently. When my grandmother got hurt, you know, um, immediately, you know, lawyers were talking to her about suing this small business that basically would put them out of business, right? You know, um, and, and ultimately, uh, you know, she embraced more of, you know, back braces and, and things of that nature rather than making herself physically strong. And I think that there is probably a difference between the way that my 1975 grandmother, you know, would have viewed things rather than if she got hurt you know, in 1945, right? You know, I think she would have probably pursued being a little bit more physically capable. It's hard to know, but, you know, what we're really talking about is just trying to explore that side of things more. And, 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 you know, what we're saying is, is, is not meant as judgment or anything like that, because, I mean, I, I hope what you're hearing from Catherine and I is that we both struggled with this. But I kind of wanted to move on to sort of the next phase of where you sort of go with things, because I think that when we talk about, you know, you know, I, I definitely struggled with, you know, dramatic weight loss and then and then just wanting to eat normal and then, you know, feeling like I failed and then kind of having these binge and bust cycles, you know, and, you know, having my, my young daughters, which, you know, at that time were like five and seven, talking about, you know, well, when you were carrying us up the stairs, you could barely make it up the stairs and breathing, you know, and then, you know, sometimes sleeping downstairs just because I didn't have the energy to go all the way upstairs in the middle of the night, you know what I mean? And so, like, just going up the stairs would wake me up to a point where I would just sleep downstairs, right? And so that's the kind of consequences that I don't think a lot of people realize, you know, when we talk about like willpower and, and what it takes to stick to an unsustainable approach, you know, eventually, you know, you either give in and try to, you know, try to, you know, try to find normal. A lot of people struggle to do that. Or you have a disordered view of either yourself or food, right? That's sort of the consequences. And we'll talk a little bit more about that from a scientific standpoint as it relates to orthorexia. You know, orthorexia is basically when you um, view clean eating as the only option 
rather than kind of a, you know, the way that Mike Nelson, you know, our, our resident, you know, doctor here at Eat to Perform, you know, talks about it. You know, he says, if you look at, at mostly whole foods as a, as a do list, um, that's a great way to view it. And I agree with that so much. I mean, I think that people don't look at me and realize how much whole foods played a role in my journey, right? And, and getting to where I got, you know, and how, you know, I just had to become an adult. You know, I think that one of the temptations that you run into, you know, and you see the thing with Oprah and bread right now, you know, she's like, I eat bread, I love bread, you know. Problem with eating bread, yeah, problem with eating bread and loving bread, you know, is it's fine if you're eating an adequate amount and you're doing stuff. You know, let's say that your caloric burn is 2,400 calories and and you're eating bread and bread is 300, you know, calories of that 2,400. Well, you can fit in a lot of food at that point. But let's say that you eat that bread and that bread is 300 calories, but you've decided that you can only eat 1,200 calories. Now you've only got 900 calories of real food. So what you really have is kind of a math problem, right? And when you view calories in versus calories out, you know, and I know, you know, I mean, one thing, you know, I think people think that I'm overly critical of Weight Watchers and, you know, I am overly critical of dieting as the end-all, be-all solution. I think that when you look at what's the emphasis of what companies talk about, right? That's what they stand for. And when we talk about eating an adequate amount for what you do every single day, you know what our message is. Does Weight Watchers have a maintenance plan? Do they talk to you about maintenance? They do. You know, I, I remember it, you know, back in, you know, my early 30s that that was part of the discussion and the narrative that, that Weight Watchers had. But when it's only 1% to 2% of what you're talking about at any given time, and then you're mostly putting out your marketing talking about bread, 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 you know, um, now all of a sudden you're getting to the point of being manipulative. And I believe that that is manipulative. Um, I think that... You know, when you're telling people to eat less. And when we're talking about using stored bodily fat, you know, a lot of the times people are going to look at calories or points or however you define it. And they're going to opt for the most, the quickest, you know, which once again stands in stark contrast to what we say often. And, you know, what I think a lot of these companies have to look at is one, we have 1.5 million fans for a reason, okay? Two, we have one of the most popular podcasts. Right now, the only two podcasts that are ahead of us is a sleep podcast and a psychology podcast. We're trumping all the other starvation podcasts right now. Why is that? Or all the other extreme fitness podcasts. Why is that? Well, it's because they've done everything that you guys have been talking about for years and they failed doing it. And ultimately, what we're saying seems more reasonable than what you're saying. What you're saying is, your narrative is, you could starve yourself, but you can still eat bread. You know, um, And what we're saying is, 
You don't have to starve yourself. You can still eat bread. You can eat an adequate amount for what you do. Does that mean that you know, you'll never get fat loss so that you'll never eat at a deficit ever again. No, but, you know, in that way, you know, if if Weight Watchers flipped everything on its head and really started talking about, you know, eating at maintenance the majority of the time, then we'd be out of business, right? But we're not out of business. We actually have almost as many fans as Weight Watchers does, and they've been around since 1968. That should be telling somebody something. Somebody should be hearing that, and they're not hearing that. And I think that that's, that's fairly important to this discussion. So here's what ends up happening when you get to kind of that next level. And, and Catherine, you know, and I both can relate to this part because, you know, I think... You know, I think it still is a part of the narrative for both of us. Um, when you start to get fit, okay, you know, when I started at mid 40th percentile, you know, I, I just didn't want to have a heart attack scare anymore. You know, I wanted to be able to walk up the stairs and, and breathe okay, right? But what happens is, is that quickly... You know, once you kind of do the work, you start to realize like, okay, well, I'm starting to look good in front of the mirror and stuff like this. Um, maybe your relationship isn't awesome with that person yet because, you know, when, you know, one of the things about dieting communities in general is that they can, you know, be kind of miserable and not fun. Right. And so like you have these supportive communities of people that are starving themselves. And guess what? That doesn't really work out all that well. And then all of a sudden people come to eat to perform and they're like, oh, my God, it's so supportive and it's so awesome. Like, yeah, because we eat pizza every now and again. Right. And we're not demonizing foods as bad all the time. And we're not trying to simplify things to a standpoint of if you do this, this will work. Because I'm going to tell you that, you know, the people in the podcast behind us right now, their simplistic solutions to, you know, exercise or their simplistic solutions to, you know, eating mostly whole foods or whatever, they can work temporarily, but often what gets you to one place isn't the thing that gets you to the next place, right? And... That's really important for everybody to hear because if you, let's say you have 100 pounds to use and you do that by dramatically under eating and eating chicken and kale, right? Chicken and kale is all, you know, if you if you don't listen to the podcast often, chicken and kale, I don't know why. I eat chicken and kale. I like chicken and kale. You can, you know, but, but, but for I some. I eat chicken and kale too, but that's not all I eat. Yeah, but for some for some reason, chicken and kale. You know, uh, I'm sorry, chicken and kale. I, I don't I don't dislike you near as much as people might think. Um, but if you take an approach that's super restrictive like that, what happens when you go on vacation eventually? You know, at some point, you're just gonna want to be a normal human being. And I remember, you know, we we had um, a gal talking to me, and I think she had lost like. 80 pounds and, you know, very restrictive way of eating. And, and I, you know, like I was saying to her, I was like, you should be really super happy for your accomplishment. Um, and 
I said, but what you need to factor in is that as you start to normalize, you are going to gain a little bit of weight. But a lot of it's going to be muscle because when you come from like a deficient way of eating, of course, the amount of things that you can do in the world tend to not be very much. And so one of the things that that she says and, and people will often say is that, well, now that I started adding carbohydrates in my life, you know, I, you know, crave them all the time. And I hear that. And that's a legitimate concern that, you know, when you think of addiction or anything where you're depriving yourself of something, naturally, when you add it back in, you have to be a little careful. But when we talk about addiction, you know, one of the things that we got to talk about is what really is the mechanism for healing. And really, it's it's connection and love and, and building a life that is more whole and not more rigid and more restrictive, right? I mean, the success rate of addiction treat, treatment, you know, 20, 30 years ago was horrific. So much so that they quit insuring it. Um, the diet rates, the diet industry is not very transparent. It's not very successful, though. Virtually any study where they've actually tried to compile some statistics you know, like Dr. Tracy Mann says, it's more likely that you're going to recover from some forms of cancer than you will be to successfully diet. That's what you're up against when you're trying to hate yourself lean, right? And so what ends up happening is kind of what Catherine was talking about earlier. It's like, it's never enough. You're never small enough. You know, you're never, you know, um, really, I mean, it, it sort of works that way with, with muscle building as well, but kind of from a, from a different standpoint. Um, but you know, one of the things that, that happens, for instance, in the bodybuilding world, you know, you see people that were, you know, very overweight. A lot of the time people that, you know, had fat to use, they have a lot of muscle, right? Their, their frame you know, had to adapt to the fact that they were bigger. So they tend to have a little bit more muscle and therefore they have a little bit better metabolism than a lot of people. So a lot of people think that their metabolism is compromised because, you know, they weigh 300 pounds or whatever. The problem is not the metabolism. Your metabolism is fine. When you're eating an adequate amount of food, you have an adequate amount of muscle, you know, your metabolism tends to be okay. It's the fact that, you know, it's difficult to get off the couch when you weigh 300 pounds. That's the problem, right? And so the amount of activity that you can do, the amount of, of energy that you can put out becomes compromised by, you know, what you've become. And, you know, I, like I said, I've described it with my personal situation. So, you know, you know, I'm not placing a judgment on anyone. I'm explaining to you guys what it's like to be obese and what it's like to um, change that. And, you know, make no mistake about it. At certain points, you know, it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. But, you know, when you're 
trying to do it all at once or you're overly uncomfortable too often, you know, and I think coaches tend to kind of fall into this trap, right? You know, you have a client, they walk into your gym and they say, you know, I have 20 pounds to lose. You know, I was kind of hoping to do it in 30 days. I was wondering if you could help me. And the, the gym owners thinking to themselves, well, I better have an answer for this. Otherwise, you know, they're going to walk out the gym and then I'm not going to be able to make this sale. Let me tell you how to make that sale. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how that works. Let me ask you a question. Why do you need to lose 20 pounds? Well, I don't really have anything specific, but I have kind of this excessive amount. Or let's say that they, let's say that they say, well, you know, I'm getting married in three months. Why don't we do this? First of all, I can help you kind of tighten your game up a little bit. We can focus a little bit more on habits. We can focus a little bit more on foods. But, but let's address the real question in the room. What's the real problem that you have? The real problem that you have is that you're spending too much of your life unattended, right? I, as your gym owner, will help you from the standpoint of accountability. But as a human being, you need food to get better at exercise. And getting better at exercise is the thing that's going to help your metabolism. It's going to make you leaner. It's going to make you fit genes better. It's going to do all these different types of things. Now, I'm going to tell you that the gym right down the way, they will tell you that they can lose 20 pounds in 30 days. And you may or may not lose that 20 pounds in 30 days, but almost certainly, this, this, this statistics prove this out, you'll gain it back with interest. My clients don't gain it back as interest because I tell them the truth. And the truth is, you shouldn't be trying to lose 20 pounds in 30 days. What we need to be focused on is a sustainable approach for life that ultimately makes you better as a human being forever. See that guy, in 30 days, you're gonna hate that dude. Because one, you had to starve yourself while trying to exercise, you couldn't sleep the whole time, your family hated you, everything sucked, right? In my gym, the way we're gonna do it, <laughs> Catherine is a popular person with phone calls, but in my gym, the way that we're gonna do it is you're gonna become a more capable human being, and absolutely, if you were overeating, you'll lose weight, right? And because we're going to focus a little bit on volume, you'll end up gaining muscle in that process. So if you were overeating and you lose weight and then you gain muscle, we're actually losing fat and gaining muscle at the same time. But at the end of the process of that 30 days, you're probably not gonna lose 20 pounds. I'm gonna be real honest with you about that. But what you are gonna gain is a better understanding of who you are as a human being, right? And what it takes to ultimately get to the place that you want to go. See, the problem that the diet industry has and the problem that many people listening to this podcast have is that they're not being honest with themselves. They're running down the same path over and over again. And unfortunately, if I'm a gym owner 
and I'm trying to pay the bills, I feel like I need to tell people, you know, what they want to hear. That's not what people want to hear. What they want to hear is what I'm telling them right now. And I can tell you I know this because 1.5 million people listen to what I say. Okay. In the last week, 100,000 people have downloaded our podcast because they're very interested in the truth. And if you tell people the truth, you may be thinking that you're going out of business. And if you don't tell this person what they want to hear, that you'll go out of business, guess what? You're going out of business no matter what. Because if you keep teaching people an unsustainable approach, why the fitness industry has allowed the diet people to dictate the conversation, I have no idea. If I walk into a gym and I see the most physically capable people, they eat an adequate amount for what they do. They typically have a good approach to food. They eat mostly whole foods, right? They're not, you know, you know, they're not a victim of, you know, I eat when I'm sad. I eat when I'm happy. You know, I eat, I eat, you know, basically all the time and they're always a victim to, you know, convenience. Certainly some level of, of planning and things of that nature. And you can add all those things into, you know, what it is you do as a gym owner. But what I'm saying is, is people want to hear the truth. They're sick and tired of, you know, um, you know, being kind of fed this line. And I, I believe that what we're looking at is sort of a revolution, you know. And the person that's trying to lose 20 pounds in 30 days, they want to hate themselves lean for 30 days and then kind of, hit the ground running, and then become normal. That ain't how you become normal, right? You become normal by having a healthy relationship with food, you know? I do think that the, the moderation thing is overdone. It's certainly something we talk about a fair amount, right? And I think that if, you know, you haven't been eating carbohydrates or you've been eating low calorie for the last, you know, 20, 30 years, you know, or you've been kind of in a binge bust cycle of dieting for a while, there's going to be some level of understanding. Look, if you took a bad approach and, you know, first day of each reform, I tell you the truth, right? If you've been dieting since you were 12 years old and you've been kind of, you know, up and down and, and things of this nature, it might take a bit to figure things out. And that's okay, you know. The problem that most people have isn't the fact that they can't figure it out. It's their timeline. And most people that want to lose X amount of pounds in X amount of days, when you ask them, they don't have a legitimate reason, right? And I understand the want if, as an example, for, for instance, I mean, it's completely reasonable for a person to come to me and say, I want to lose 20 pounds for my wedding, right? And we could certainly come up with a plan for that person to be able to kind of figure that out for themselves. But we have to have a little bit longer timeline. Otherwise, you're just going to gain it all back, you know? And if we're looking at kind of what the 
healthiest relationship, where you're getting sleep, where you're adequately exercising, where you're not sick all the time, where you're not fatigued, where your cortisol levels aren't out of control, well, you know, we're really talking about eating an adequate amount most of the time, right? Where you're not dieting, where you're not taking these approaches. I mean, like when somebody says to me, oh, I don't diet, I eat paleo. It's called paleo diet for a reason, right? I mean, you know, Dr. Cordain created the diet, you know, as a way of coming up with a deficit. And actually the way that the diet was sort of, you know, it was actually much more close to chicken and kale than it is to what it's become now. Now, I will say some people have moved the needle, you know, and I, I, I think that there are good folks out there. I think that the guy, you know, the Abel James guy, right? You know, he got caught up into the, you know, I got to sell my, you know, podcasts and, and stuff like this. I mean, by all accounts, the dude seems like a pretty good dude. You know, I haven't listened to his podcast, but the people that do listen to his podcast say he sounds like a pretty good dude, right? He's trying to help people. But when you're trying to help people with an unsustainable approach that's not based in science, right? We need to move people in the direction that kind of helps them from that standpoint. And you know, a lot of the time, you know, like my article related to paleo, you know, I mean, what's funny about it, you know, once again, you know, I mean, I'll get criticized for, for cardio sometimes, but I'll get criticized for, you know, my approach to paleo. I've written more on the topic of paleo than a lot of paleo folks. Um, but one of the things that I said is that if you're not getting results to paleo, how many calories are you eating? Well, I, you know, I don't count calories because I do paleo. Well, maybe you should right? There's no reason why you can't, you know? And then you go, well, okay, now I'm eating an adequate amount of food for what I do. I'm not gaining a lot of weight, but I'm not really seeing a lot of body composition. Now we can start playing with a little bit of carbohydrates. If that needs to be a sweet potato for you, fine. If you don't do white rice, cool, no problem, right? But if you can add some strategic additions to the way that you think about food, a lot of times it's going to be helpful. And I guess, you know, we'll, we'll sort of end on this note and we'll kind of finish things up, um, you know, and get Catherine's, you know, feedback on, on what I'm saying. But when we're talking about more rigid and more restrictive, right, eventually you give. And when you start off really super restrictive, you know, I mean, like I said, you know, and we, we once again, I got a little long winded. We're going to cut it off. But you do get to a point where aesthetics matter to you and you start to go, well, I would like abs. You know, I'm working hard. Right. I'm going to the gym, you know, working out, lifting weights. And, and now, you know, my understanding of food is a lot smarter. Even in that scenario, right, I have visible abs. Catherine has visible abs. Do we have visible abs 24 hours every seven days a week, 365? No, we don't, you know? And I think, I think a, lot of, a lot of the people that are putting images out there that are sort of suggesting that that is what it's all about is sort of missing the bigger picture, you know? I mean, 
if you want to get stronger, you know, you have to eat an adequate amount of food. There's an argument for getting stronger. There's an argument for building muscle. There's an argument for lean mass. You know, you're going to have to show me, you know, once again, how you eat chicken and kale and build lean mass. You know, how you eat at a deficit and build lean mass. It's that narrative that's kind of the bullshit that everybody's selling you on and you keep buying it. Let me just tell you guys something. Quit blaming the detox people. Quit blaming the paleo folks. Quit blaming whoever it is that has stopped you from getting results. It's you. It's you that's buying that shit. It's you that's bought that stuff for all these years. And the reason you did is the same reason I did. Is because you wanted a very easy solution that wasn't going to be a wholesale change in your life. You wanted to pull off the Band-Aid as quickly as possible so you could sort of normalize. And you know what? We're all broken as a result, right? We kind of knew that the best athlete in the gym is over there working his ass off. You know, he's drinking his protein shake. He's eating his meat and potatoes. You know what I mean? He's having his oatmeal in the morning. And guess what? He's doing fine. She's doing fine. But you're trying to starve your way there, and it isn't working. It hasn't worked. It hasn't worked the whole time. And at the end of the day, you have to go ding, 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 ding. You know, it's time to try something new. And usually, the answer for whatever restrictive approach you've been taking is the opposite. And you know, if you're not willing, you know, if you're not ready to hear that yet. There's probably certain times in the past where I wasn't ready to hear that, right? You know, I wanted to believe that, you know, life unattended, you know, could be fixed very easily and very quickly. But at, you know, at some point, you just come down and 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 go, you know, it's time to it's time to climb the hill. It's trying it's time to dig, you know. I mean, you you got to do the work, you know. And, and a lot of the work for a lot of people is some level of, of insight and kind of, you know, figuring things out for yourself. And that's, that's what we try to do for you guys. So, Catherine, before we shut this down, do you have any thoughts on, you have any thoughts on what I'm saying? Um, I think you hit the nail on the head, Paul, as my daughter just came into the room and turned on all the lights, um, is that uh, it, it, moderation, yep, but that you need to just take one step at a time. And I think that's where all of us coaches come in, because sometimes you can get so lost in all the information that comes at us, the detox, the the Oprahs, all that stuff. But that's what we are here for to kind of, the community that you've built essentially is to here to remind us all. And no, I don't have abs 24 seven, but right now I don't really care because I'm building muscle. <laughs> yeah, I mean like, like, yeah, like I said in one of my videos recently on the page, I'm like, you know, am I a packed up right now? No, you know, but you know, I mean, if I photoshopped it, I'd be fine, you know, but, uh, but, you know, if I took off my shirt at the beach, you'd know I did work, you know what I mean? And I think that that's ultimately, you know, as a male, as a female, that's what you really want, you know? And I think that, you know, it's this ideal physique, you know, where, 
you know, X amount of pounds equals X amount of abs and, and stuff like that. That's all kind of this narrative that's kind of not helping. So we'll just end on that note. I appreciate everybody being here and uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Thank you.